HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit specialtyfood.com. In each episode of this podcast, we want to share the stories behind the products that are made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Gretchen Van Esselstyn. I'm the Director of Education and Programs at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode, and we're so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's very special guest is Juan Stewart, founder of Frescos Naturales. Welcome, Juan. So happy to have you. Thank you, Gretchen. Happy to be here. Excellent. Where are you dialing in from today? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Chilly, Uh chilly Denver, Colorado. Chilly Denver. What's the temperature these days? It's about 26 this morning. Yeah, Fahrenheit. I mean, yeah. it's not bad. It's not bad. It could, you know, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm from Guatemala. I've been here now 20 years, but it's, you know, yeah, it feels it's chilly. Yeah, it's pretty chilly if you're used to. Yep. And I, yeah, I'm in New York City and it is quite a chilly day here too, but soon I'm going to get to meet you in person in Las Vegas where I think it's going to be warm. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. What I'm talking about, for those of you not in the know, is we're getting ready for our Winter Fancy Food Show, which will be at the Las Vegas Convention Center, January 21st through 23rd. So, Juan, let's get started. So, can you tell us a bit more about your products? 
Yes, uh, my, my brand is called Frescos Naturales, and we make sparkling aguas frescas in 12-ounce cans, uh, just traditional, authentic uh, Latin American uh, flavors and drinks. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about how you got your start. Um, okay. Yes. Um, so these are these are the drinks that I grew up, um, you know, consuming in, in Guatemala uh, as as a child. Uh, I moved to the United States when I was seventeen. Um, so now twenty years here, and I would make, you know, you know, if we couldn't, my thing with my family was if we can't live in Guatemala, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna try to feed you as much Guatemalan food as I, I grew up with. Particularly with with my son, it was important for me when he was growing up that that. You know that he grew up with the smells that I grew up with in my house. <laughs> that, nice. was, that was like, yeah, it was key. It was, it was part of, you know, food is such a such an important part in in, in family life. You know, that brings people together. And 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 I I personally feel I grew up with some of the best food that that I you know you can. And 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 those smells and flavors were were such a big and important part of my life that I wanted to to give them to my son when he was uh, growing up. And, and uh, so I would make all kinds of different recipes. Um, and amongst that, aguas frescas. And and the idea to bottle um, the aguas frescas actually came from my son. One afternoon after making, I think he went skateboarding. It was it was a hot summer day. I made him rosa jamaica, which is a, a strong hibiscus infusion that you drink cold. Um, and, uh, I, I drank it by the gallon growing up and I would always make it for my son. It's really easy, very healthy as well. It's very good for you. Um, hibiscus, you can keep on the shelf forever. So it's easy to make as well. Anyway, I make him, you know, I made it in the morning. He shows up at noon. I serve him a big pint and he pounds it and he's like, you know, pops, what you should bottle is this stuff. And uh-huh. that's like, yeah, that's exactly when it clicked. I was like, you are totally right. Let me go test the pH right now because, you know, these are beverages, cultural beverages that um, all Latinos, um, eh, almost all Latinos, Latin America, you got to remember, it's 22 countries. It's a lot of sure. countries. But the majority of us uh, consume these kinds of, of drinks um, in our native countries and, and, and all around the tropics, the Caribbean and Africa and Asia. Um, so but here in the United States, you know, there's there's so many. The Latino community is huge. And um, while there is representation in in our foods, definitely Latin American food is 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 super popular here in the United States, right? Um, our our beverages there's very there are not a lot of healthy um, Latin American beverages in the in the marketplace. You don't see those reflected when they're actually very easy to make and um, uh, very good for you. You know, so that's that's the space I saw, and I was like, oh my god, I got to move on this quick. <laughs> And uh, and that's what I've been working on. Uh, that was 2018. So there's been many iterations of this. Um, I didn't launch Frescos Naturales, the company, you know, as it is right now until um, 2021 was our first launch with cans. Uh-huh. Um, I actually have another. Uh, I started in the natural food uh, industry in here in Boulder, Colorado, uh, in 2014, selling uh, my mom's hot sauce at the farmer's market. Oh, um, cool. Yes, and uh, and it was a huge hit. Uh, my mom's hot sauce. Well, the company is called Green Belly Foods, and we her sauce was a it's a cilantro, garlic, habanero, olive oil, apple cider vinegar uh, hot sauce that is absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge hit. And I was like, wow, I need to, 
I, I'm going to stick with this. And, and that's how I got started in, in the natural food industry um, was at the farmer's markets with my, my mom's hot sauce. So that's the space where I eventually tried uh, selling the, the the hibiscus, the Rosa Jamaica that I first bottled. I first had it in glass because mm. I was, I was frescas are, are usually not sparkling. Right. Um, right. And, you know, the Jamaica is, is this beautiful dark red color that is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I also was going to use other um, ingredients that I already was using in my hot sauce, like a mango and a tamarindo, a tamarind, you know, so, and I would, if there was glass, the consumers could see that there would, there was pulp in the, in the bottle and they would shake it. There was a reason for all of that. So glass was um, a success, but it was, it was too expensive. Um, and so I eventually moved to cans and, um, you know, we were, it worked at the farmer's market, but more importantly, I went out to sell in the streets, uh, to coffee shops, restaurants, grocery stores, convenience stores. And I was able to place, uh, my drinks super easily in a lot of these places. So that's, that's where I saw, okay, this is something I want to develop further. Yeah. So, so interesting. And I know with glass has been, especially with the supply chain issues that occurred during the, you know, the beginning years of the pandemic, um, glass has been really tough for a lot of our manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And so turning to cans makes a lot of sense. I can see, though, the loss of being able to see the product. But I feel like your cans, I wish I could hold one up and show people because this is audio only. Your cans are so beautiful and have these strong colors that could you talk a little bit about that brand identity that you give through your cans? Absolutely. We wanted them to be as colorful as our drinks, uh, as our culture, really, you know, um, it, the font is inspired. Uh, I'm a big music fan. Um, and the font is inspired in a type of Peruvian music called Chicha. And hmm. it's, a, it's a type of uh, cumbia from the 70s. Um, and artists in Peru, um, Chicha artists usually have the, the type of font that you'll see in our cans. It's really like a, a I don't know how to describe it, bold and big. And, um, you know, Lima, Peru is a place that's very dry. It's, it receives like two two inches of rain a year, I think. So the posters of, of Chicha artists are always like in really bright neon colors. And they're like cool. beautiful. You know, they stand out in a place like like that. So that's uh, sort of where the inspiration for what, what the can, what I wanted the can to look like. My brother-in-law is a designer. He's from Peru. So he totally understood what what I, I was going for. And, um, and he's made an, an incredible uh, artwork out of all the cans. Um, so we, we try to look at, at, at our cans as, as not just, you know, the, 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 the vehicle for a drink and, and, and how people are going to consume it, but as, as art, as art, artwork. So um, that's, that's where it comes from. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And then tell me a little bit about, so are you using a co-packer or do you have your own manufacturing facility? Yes, I am using a co-packer. I don't have my own facility. Um, I've always been um, self-funded, uh, very bootstrapped. Um, so, you know, having your own facility is, is great, but um, it comes with, a you know, it's, it's very expensive. And uh, absolutely. Yeah, there is hard to maintain. So, no, I've, I've benefited tremendously from co-packers. Also with my hot sauce. That's how I started. You know, yep. the hot sauce, I would first bottle it by hand using like, you know, in the back of a restaurant kitchen with funnels. <laughs> and it was crazy. Yep. I did all Been of there, that. Yep. Two years, I bottled about thirteen thousand. No, yeah, thirteen thousand cans by hand. Unbelievable. <laughs> Eventually, yeah, you know, I was able to get a credit card to to go to a co-packer and see the benefits of that. So once I started, you know, uh, Greenbelly 
really gave Greenbelly Foods, the hot sauce company, has given me all of the knowledge that I needed and the experience to to launch Frescos. Right. Um, once I I with I knew exactly what what I needed to do with Frescos. I was like, yes, we're going to work with a co-packer. Yes, we're going to work with a fulfillment center. Yes. You know, ev- everything. I, I already had a lot of experience on like getting ingredients, getting uh, packaging material. What do you need to do? Um, nutritional fact panel, uh, uh, UPC codes, all these things that I had all no idea. Details, yeah. When I started, you know, when I started, I my background is in uh, in media in, in in education. I was a teacher for like fifteen years um, before going into this. So. <laughs> It, it, all of it was very new. How to how to package for uh, stores and to to scale up a CPG product. Yeah. Amazing. So you had some big surprises. Were there some obstacles that you faced that, uh, when you were getting started? Other than yeah. bottling, your, what was it, thirty thousand you know, on your own in the yes, garage? Right, right. Well, uh, yeah, in this kitchen, in a kitchen, I was at a restaurant, um, and uh, you know, it was. It, I guess the obstacle was always you would learn something one year and then the next year the the requirements were, you know, different and you had to learn mm. new things every year. And it's that's still happening. It's something that I actually I appreciate and enjoy, but it, because you always want to keep learning um, for sure. And, and, and this the industry is so big and wide. There's so many directions you can go. Um, there's so much learning to do, you know, that. Um, that's been, that's been a, you know, one of the, the biggest sort of obstacles, but also like opportunities, you know, for growth. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the flavors. So yeah, the Jamaica I know is like a very traditional flavor, um, yes. in your culture and across Latin America. And as you said, around the world, how about at some other flavors that you could talk about and how, um, Anything that's sort of outside the box, or are you mostly sticking Absolutely. with more traditional flavors? No, well, no, I, I am going for like uh, you know popular flavors. Um, but when I started, I knew I wanted to launch that first year six flavors because I knew that once I got started, it would be hard to. It would be a while until I launched more flavors. I have the next six already in my mind, and and the next line after that to launch. But for for when I started, it was Jamaica hibiscus was was is a classic, and it is something that um, that I wanted to start with. The color, it's a healthy beverage. Nobody's is bottling Jamaica Rosa Jamaica, despite the fact that. You know, if I just let's f- focus on Mexico, Central America, you know, n- not only every Mexican in Central America in this country, in the United States now, and of course, everybody in, in Mexico and in Central America makes these drinks at home, you know, but yeah. you don't find them at the grocery store. You find some concentrates for some um, like Jamaica concentrates. That's something people do. But most people, if you go to the houses, to, to the homes of most immigrant Latinx community here in the United States, you'll find that we make... Um, our daily refrescos at home. You know, you you will find that people will make uh, uh, drinks with all kinds of different fruits. Um, the second flavor I launched was tamarindo, for example, tamarind. Tamarind is is a really popular flavor in in Mexico, Central America, South America. It's something that is used a lot for like candies. Um, if you, there are big trees, if you grow up next to a tamarindo tree. They, they give you amazing shade and they're massive and they drop mm. all these pods. Uh, tamarindo is, is, is a legume. Imagine 
um, like a, like a very long, large sort of like peanut, but inside it, instead of a, you know, a nut, there is a seed, but the seed is surrounded by this pulp that tastes like a natural fruit roll up. Like it's, Mm. it really does. It's, it's sweet and tart and delicious. Um, and it's made in drinks, uh, and in, and in some desserts. Um, and it's something that it's, 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 it can be a polarizing flavor. My sister hates it. I love it, but it's <laughs> it's something that is so traditional. You have to have it, you know, in the menu. Um, I also made a, a, a pineapple, a piña agua fresca, which was something we had at my house personally all the time. It's something that's also very popular around like Mexico, Central America. Um, then I um, I launched a mango drink as well, uh, a mango agua fresca. Mango is a classic. Um, mango is something that every everybody loves. Mango in Guatemala, we have we have mango season, Gretchen. We have yeah. mango season. So you start with one mango, the small ones, uh, small little chubby mangoes that you know are easy to peel and, and, and meaty inside. And then you have these long ones that. Gretchen, let me tell you this. So the, these little these mangoes, you you basically squ- start squishing them, you know, mm-hmm. slowly and breaking down the inside, and then eventually becomes this mango pouch. Okay, mm. and as a kid, you would just bite the little top of the mango to make a little hole, and you would just squeeze out all of the mango juice. You know, and, and oh, amazing. amazing. And then, of course, then you end up peeling it and, and, and eating the inside. They're very, this variety is very stringy and usually would get in your teeth and it's a, it's a mess. Um, <laughs> and then there's the, the, the bigger fatty mangoes that you use to like cut into and, and serve with like lime, lime juice, salt, and, 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 uh, usually they like pepper as well, like, uh, like a chile and, um, uh, so there's the, yeah, mango was something I wanted to do. I knew that it's a very popular flavor. I love it as well. Um, and then maracuya, the passion fruit. This was one that um, I didn't personally grow up with as a agua fresca in Guatemala. You, we use passion fruit or maracuya as a mostly for jams or uh, um, a, you know putting in cakes on top of mm-hmm. a cake. You know, but um, when I was developing the flavors, like the first three was. Uh, well, I had mango, Jamaica, tamarindo, piña, and and I was like, what? What is the next one? And I started asking, my, you know, my Latino friends here. Uh, my brother-in-law in Peru was like, in Peru we drink maracuya. Uh, my Brazilian friends were like, maracuja. Você tem que <laughs> you know, and my Caribbean friends they call it parcha, parchita, and they're like, dude, we need, you need to make a parcha drink. So uh, Colombians as well. I have a lot of Venezuelan friends here in in, in Denver. They they uh, you know, some of my closest friends grew up with maracuya trees in the backyard. They're like, we used to drink this every single day. <laughs> so, so it was one where I was like, okay, this is, I realized that frescos, um, is, is bigger than me. It's, it's something that represents, uh, the, the whole Latin American community for me. That's what I'd like to make is obviously flavors that, are, that I love and are important for me, but, but it's for all of us, all, all Latinos that are, that are, that are here and can't find our, our traditional like drinks. Um, the last one I, I launched was guayava. It's also another one that we would use mostly in jams, like a guava jelly or mm-hmm. um, also in cakes. But but it's also very popular agua fresca, particularly in Mexico, where they have they have really 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 good quality guayaba in Mexico. If you ever go. Look for yeah, it. <laughs> wonderful. Yes. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to ask you about that I know that our audience will be interested to hear about was so you were on Shark Tank. What was that like? <laughs> yes, I was I was lucky to go. It was amazing. Um 
uh, it, let's see, you know, it's the, uh, the experience was, was, um, was totally unexpected. I actually didn't watch the show before applying. It was a mentor of mine that, that, that encouraged me to apply, uh, after I had won a, a pitch slam here in, in Boulder with mm. naturally Boulder. So I was already a little emboldened and, and I, I, I watched an episode and I was like, Oh, I could do this. And so I, I, I applied and, and it's a long application process. It's, it's hard to know if, if at the end you're going to go. And even if you go, they might, you might not make the film, you know, it, you know, like uh, the film day, you might need to, there's all these things until finally you make it on screen. But um, the, the experience was incredible. Uh, the, the amount of publicity we got people around the country know us now. Um, went to the dentist the other day and she was like, oh, I saw you on TV, you know, oh, that's <laughs> Where, so cool. you know, yeah. And, and so people know, know about us. That is, that is the biggest thing, uh, is, is, is really publicity. It's an amazing show. It has incredible reach. Um, the experience was, was incredible. I highly recommend it for anybody. <laughs> Fantastic. Good for mm-hmm. you. So we're almost out of time, but, um, before you go, we're going to ask you to participate in our final segment, which is called take five, five right. questions for our guests. But first we're going to pause for a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. So this is Gretchen Van Esselsten from SFA, speaking with Juan Stewart from Frescos Naturales. Hello. Hello. So we're going to step into our five questions for our final segment, Take Five. So the first one is, what is your favorite thing about being in the specialty food industry? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, creating the uh, high quality products that, that I would make at home. You know, my goal with Frescos was to create the best tasting, the most authentic, healthy aguas frescas. Usually in the in marketplace, you find like, you know, uh, high fructose corn syrup or artificially flavored drinks, you know, that, that are supposed to be aguas frescas, you know. Um, when I know that that's not how you make them and it's not hard at all to make them completely natural, good for you, low in sugar and and, and high in, in nutrients. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to make um, with, with our products. Amazing. And you're just getting started with us here at the Specialty Food Association, but wanted to say, you know, we're so happy to have you as part of our community. Is there anything we've done to make life easier for you as a founder or anything we can do? 
Yes, yeah, this is going to be my first year participating. I haven't been, you know, I haven't had the honor to go to 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 the show before, either to walk it and much less as a brand. So I'm really looking forward to it because I, I've, I've basically heard from um, a lot of other founders uh, in the industry that it's a really, really great space um, to get lit leads to for buyers and stores that are specifically looking for uh, for these high quality products. Sometimes going into the marketplace with with a product that's really good, with really good ingredients, and you're a small brand, it can you know you get priced out from uh, things that are made a lot che cheaply and, and, and conventionally for the you know a more generic market. So I'm really looking forward to to meeting people at the show. Fantastic, and here's sort of a wild one. So if you were not running this business, what do you think you'd be doing? Um. Education, education. Yeah. I would go back to teaching. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, I, um, I, I want to do a lot of things, Gretchen. I, I, I want to produce films. I went to film school. I used to uh, had. I, I was a producer, freelancer for a long time uh, here in, in in Boulder, Colorado. Um, then I got into into teaching and youth media, um, and that's uh, to mostly high school students. Um, it was it was the most useful I felt as a human being. Really, like. Uh, young people just want somebody that cares and that will listen and just, you know, is there and they're so creative. And so am I, and, and, and having knowledge that you have in, in, in your head and you're in, in, and you pass it on to somebody else. And then you see that other person take off with it and be creative with it has been the most, um, rewarding for me, you know, besides being a parent, I'm a father, <laughs> but teaching has been an education is something I, I like to do, uh, in the future. That is, I love hearing that. I was a high school teacher once upon a time myself, so I know what you're talking yeah. about. Oh, God, and yeah. maybe you'll want to teach for us at SFA one of these days and help other founders learn how to get started in the business. I would love to, yes. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. Very cool. So what? It, speaking of that, so what is one piece of advice that you'd give to a brand new food business? Oh, yes. So I've, I've now I'm going into year 10 with the hot sauce and year three with the drinks. So I have a lot of experience and. Uh, what I would say is, is grow slow, take your time. Mm. Uh, yes. Uh, make sure that you, you have where to sell your products. And, and because the important thing is to build cash flow. Like I started a one farmer's market and to the, to this day, you know, uh, green belly still does about 12 farmers markets during, from April to November, every single weekend across Colorado. Um, and wow. it's, it's way, yes, it's incredible. Um, because you get, you get paid that day and you get the full price. It's, it's, yep. you know, going into stores is, is a lot, it's a lot more difficult. And my dream was like, okay, I'm going to make a hot sauce company and, and I'd like to get into the grocery store, but it's, it's very difficult. It, it moves a lot slower there. Like I move almost I don't know, a hundred, so, so much more at farmer's markets than I do at grocery stores on, on a, on a, on a weekly basis. You know, it, at one farmer's market, I'll do eight cases of the green in every single Saturday for, you know, eight months. And, and at, at a Whole Foods in the same town, I'll do maybe four cases a month <laughs> and you don't, and I get paid, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's that. So the, the road is a long one, you know, um, see growth opportunities, but be careful not to go, you know, as they say, uh, over your skis. <laughs> I'm not a skier, but the metaphor is that 
you know, you need to be sustainable and hold your own weight. And, and really cash flow is what you want to build. So find what works for you and your product to sell. You know, you might not, um, I feel sometimes it's a, it's a toxic comment to say, how many doors are you in? Because it, it's a blanket statement that, that doesn't, we're not all the same, you know, uh, right. we're, we're, we're all different and we're all in different, different places. We're also different people. You might, you know, for a long time, I really, yeah, I've, I've worked so hard for both my businesses that sometimes, you know, yeah, the your quality of life is important and you need to figure out, you know, sometimes maybe having a smaller but profitable company is much better. It might give you a better quality of life than having a, a big company that is constantly needing funding and, and growth for, for support. So, Fantastic. And then the last question is, what's your definition of specialty food? Okay. Um so to me, it's foods that have um, cultural, historical roots, right, that are made with quality in mind. I think that's how food developed. You know, when I looked at at, at the people in my life, uh, my mother, my grandmother, and how they cooked and what they had in mind, they always, you know, traced back to uh, historical cultural roots, and there was always quality in mind, you know, so... Mm. Um, you know, both, ing- you know, and both of these things, uh, ingredients and flavor and taste, that is the, that is so important. You know, I come from a, a culture that uses food as, as, as medicine, as a way of taking care and nurturing your body with good uh, ingredients, vegetables, fruits, grains, meats, um, you know, uh, but also as a way of, of nurturing and taking care of your, 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 your soul, you know, like, um, Things need to taste good. I think that is a key. My grandmother just passed away last year. She was 92. She she made frescos till the end of her life. She was drinking and, and eating. She's very lucky, you know. She she was able to to but she she used food as as a way of taking care. I know that for her diet, she would eat like papaya sometimes like at the end of the night so she would she could have a uh a better digestive flow the next morning, you know, uh, she was always conscious of like, okay, if you're not feeling good, this is what you should eat. This is what you should drink this kind of tea. Um, so that's, that's specialty food for me. (laughs) Fantastic. I just love it. So one, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And I can't wait to meet you in person at the Fancy Food Show. I am looking forward to it, Gretchen. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity and, and I look forward to seeing you. Same here. Wonderful. All right. So you can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And please remember to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. And if you're in the food industry, consider becoming a member of SFA by visiting our membership section on specialtyfood.com. Special thanks to Juan from Frescos Naturales and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.